Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 you and i have the first fruits of the holy spirit right now that's why you see glory breaking out in your life that's why you get glimpses of glory and that's why your wife will sometimes say man where did that come from my husband he's right on you know he's changing because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, and so we still fight that flesh, right? And in Galatians 5, it contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And so every time we love the way we're supposed to love, every time we, we forgive the way we're supposed to forgive, every time we give the way we're supposed to give, every time we show gentleness, every time we show kindness, every time we show those attributes of God, that means that you have the first fruits of the Spirit, and that's just a shadow of what's yet to come. You're not going to fall short anymore. I promise you there's a time as you suffer through this world, and sometimes you say, I didn't suffer too well. Well, there's a good news to it. You will. You'll be done with that. Your body is done. We wait as adopted children for the culmination of that. We wait for our bodies to be redeemed from the decay. And we get a glimpse of what's ahead right now because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And we're waiting eagerly, he says. Paul says we wait eagerly for our full redemption. This word for eagerly was used of waiting eagerly or expectantly of some future event. It's like, man, if we understand this truth, how can we not wait eagerly for it? like a kid that's eagerly waiting for Christmas morning to come. There's a Christmas tree and the, the presents have been around there for a couple weeks and every morning they get up and every morning they walk by that. They know they're one day closer. They know they're one day closer to that morning where they can just open up those presents and everything else. That There's that eagerness. It's like somebody who's graduating college that they've worked hard, they've, they've completed their last class, and now they're eagerly waiting to walk across the platform to get their diploma because they did it. They're eagerly waiting for that, to make it official. It's like a woman, a bride, anticipating her wedding day. She's picked out her dress, the flower coordinators have all been incorporated the wedding reception everything's been planned everything is there and now she's eagerly waiting for that day she walks through those doors and it's official and no matter what's happening out there friends listen to me we should be eager 
about waiting? When's the last time you thought about even that truth? Man, this world is temporal and I know I'm getting a glorified body. I know this body is going to be redeemed. We need to think about those things, right? Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. And hope, of course, is the wind in the believer's sails. That's what verses 24 and 25 bring out. We hope in those things that we don't see. We trust God's Word. And hope is the wind in the sails that brings the ship to destination. It's the very wind in our sails that we live. We were saved, Paul said, in this hope, but we continue in this hope. He says that hope that is seen is not seen. You know, like Thomas doubting Thomas, oh, let me see the, the wounds in his side and feel the wounds in his hand, and then I'll believe. No, no, no. We know God's Word is steadfast and we live in hope. We live in hope today that hope that is seen is not any hope at all. And that is one of the virtues that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, now abide hope, faith, and love. Love, hope, and faith. I forget how he orders it. But the greatest of these will be love. The one that will endure is love. There is a time where we're not living in hope and we're not living in faith. You know, and that's the beauty of hope, is it not? I mean, what if I bought my wife a Ferrari for Christmas? If I bought her a Ferrari, a new car, say, for Christmas, well, first of all, you'd think I'm embezzling money from the church. If I bought her a Volkswagen for Christmas, you know, she needed a new car. So I bring her out and I say, honey, here's your Christmas present. And she goes, wow, I hope I get a new car. That isn't hope at all. Hope is the very thing that allows us to have patience. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The worse that things get, right? The more hope that needs to be spoken out there from the church, you guys. You should be a channel of hope right now. The worse things get out there, you should be speaking Hope. Give them hope right now. The worse things get, the more intense our hope becomes. And God will fulfill His promise regardless of what we feel like at times. Look, when, how many times have you heard this one? Man, today would be a good time for the Lord to return. Right? When they're going through something. That's hope, right? I mean, you hear that all the time. And what it's saying is, Lord, we want Your promises to be fulfilled of your coming. And 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Right? So next time you say, Lord, man, today would be a good day for you to return. Say, Lord, don't return till my family's saved. till my family gets to repent. I don't want to see them go to hell for all eternity. Lord, don't return until my cousin repents. Don't return, Lord, until this co-worker I've been witnessing to repents. You know, God's promises will be fulfilled for sure. So we see their right creation groans. The believer groans. 
but also the Spirit groans. Look at verses 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me just point out a couple things there. One, the Spirit was given to us, the Holy Spirit, to help us. God knows this world has fallen more than anybody, and He's not left us as orphans. In John chapter 14, verse 26, He refers to the Holy Spirit as the Helper. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Helper... The helper is there that one of the beautiful things about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We're all weak. We all stumble. We all skin our knees. We all get banged up. We all get beat up. But the beautiful thing is, Paul says, the Holy Spirit is there to help us in our weaknesses. And one of the greatest weaknesses we have is our prayer life. We pray so many temporal things for temporal things and our prayers can seem so selfish at times. Our prayers can be so self-centered at times. We should ask ourselves questions like, when's the last time I prayed for a missionary? When's the last time I prayed that God would provide food for the famine in a particular area? Where's the last time I prayed that God would raise up an orphanage in an area where it was devastated and children need security and they need that safety? And we pray so often, Lord, you know, bring in the mortgage this month or Lord, you know, help me with my $1,000 a month house payment or car payment. And listen, I've fallen into that. This is not pointing a finger at you. It points a finger at me first. I have to examine my prayer life. But the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us in our prayers that when we don't pray spiritual prayers, that the Holy Spirit helps us in that area. And when I think of a spiritual prayer, I think of something like Acts chapter 4, when the church was being persecuted, they didn't pray for persecution To back off them, they prayed the opposite, that the word would be bold. So here's their prayer in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, those people who are threatening the church, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When's the last time you prayed a spiritual prayer of, Lord, provide the doctor instead of saying, Lord, heal this person, right? I mean, seriously, I believe God still does those things today. We just need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And when they had prayed, watch this, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with all boldness. Man, sometimes we can be so far off in our prayers. And listen, I think that's what causes the groaning of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit identifies with our suffering, the suffering of the believer. I truly believe that. The groaning like that of creation. The groaning like that of the believer. Now you've got the Holy Spirit groaning. I don't believe that that's speaking of an ecstatic language, a prayer language, although I do believe in that. 
And I do pray that way sometimes. I believe that it's more in understanding and identifying that he feels our pain at times. We're caught between this already and not yet fully realized. The Holy Spirit is a person. That's why it grieves me when somebody says it. And the Holy Spirit, he's not an impersonal power. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity that has the same attributes of God. That's why He can feel our pain. That's why we don't grieve the Holy Spirit that the emotions and attributes that God would have, so would He. But notice, He intercedes according to the will of God. Jesus said when you pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Suffering can deafen us to God's will without a doubt. Different people have come to me and they've been in the exact same situations and they've asked for two different prayer requests. One may be sick and say, Pastor, pray for me that God heals me. And another one, after church one day, he was diagnosed with cancer. And at the door of the foyer back there, he said, I don't want you to pray for me to be healed. He said, I want you to pray there's no pain. I want to go see my Savior. And so, you know, the Spirit is in perfect harmony with the Father and prays on our behalf according to the will of God, even when we're off base. That's what that Scripture says, that there's the mind of God, there's the mind of the Spirit, that there's perfect harmony there. Have you ever wondered that why when you prayed for something, the exact opposite happened? Here you are, you're praying for a certain thing, and then the exact opposite happens, and you say, man, God didn't answer my prayer. Oh, really? Maybe the Holy Spirit was praying the will of God, interceding for you. And that prayer was answered. God never leaves prayers unanswered, amen? It's encouraging, though, to know the Spirit's intercession on our behalf. We have an intercessor dwelling within us that prays 24-7. He's there 24-7. He's interceding. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. And I know that that's had a lot to do with the quality of my own personal prayer life. Because when I first got saved, I know that I wasn't praying right because I look at those early prayers and God has grace in that but they were all self-centered but now my prayers are so different I know when I was filled with the Holy Spirit that my whole prayer life changed and I think we need to find encouragement in that that man you may be thinking I don't know how to pray for this situation there's a good news the Holy Spirit will pray and intercede the will of God now so that's the future glory anticipated we've seen You know, creation groans, believer groans, Holy Spirit groans. Now we see future glory guaranteed. And this, to me, is exciting in verses 28 to 39. And I want, we'll probably go through this fairly rapidly, but I want want to pick out the highlights as we close and we come into this passage, as we come to the end of this. This is one of the most reassuring passages in all of Scripture. Let me just tell you that missionaries, Pastors, church leaders, lay people have all found encouragement in this passage of Scripture, especially in persecuted areas where their profession of the gospel is getting them heat and giving them heat. They will find so much encouragement. They have found so much encouragement in these verses here. So 
I want you to see this future glory is guaranteed. The first thing to, to put your sights on is what God's purpose is in our suffering. God's purpose for us is Christ-likeness. Let's look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to His purpose. All things, and there's no doubt he's referring to the afflictions here. It's easy to say, God blessed me when something good comes. But when something bad comes, it's designed to be the hammer and chisel of God to make us into the image of Christ. We blow back on that. But I want you to see that all things, all things means all things. We see it in the life of Joseph. When Joseph went through his suffering, that began when he was betrayed by his brothers and they sold him into slavery. And he goes from slavery into this pit into slavery. He works his way to the top of Potiphar's house. And then he's accused falsely, falsely accused of raping his wife, attempting to rape his wife. And he gets in prison for that. False accusation led to false imprisonment, but it led to his exaltation. And here's what he said at the end when his brothers were revealed before him or when he was revealed to his brothers. He said these words in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Through all of Joseph's sufferings, God brought it to the good and Joseph realized that. Whatever they meant for evil, God brought it to good. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. So all things, if you can grab that, all things, and you have to see that God's goodness works suffering to our benefit, but God's goal is to be Christ-like. That's what God's goal is for us. Many people quote verse 28 and they leave verse 29 out. Verse 29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to conform to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are predestined to be like Jesus. Now, predestination has disturbed a lot of believers and I don't know why. I think it's one of the most encouraging things in all of the Scriptures for a believer. There's two camps, right? You've got the Calvinist camp and you've got the Arminians. They are saying that, man, it's all about our free will choice. We choose God. And then the Calvinists say, no, it's not your free will. It's irresistible grace that you can't fight that grace. And so there's this major theological debate between Calvinists and those in the Armenian faith, they are going to be at odds forever. And it all rides on that word foreknowledge. What does God mean by foreknowledge? What does God's word mean there? And so you've got this debate going on. Well, foreknowledge, pro-gnoske, right? Pro meaning before, gnoske in Greek is knowledge, knowing beforehand. And Calvinists say that's a special love and relationship that God has with his people. It's not just speaking of knowing about things in advance. That's what Armenians will say, that God knew in advance those who would choose Him, and so therefore He chooses those who would choose Him because God can't learn anything. 
And Calvinists would say that's not what that's speaking about. And there's some weight to that because when you look at God knowing his people in the Bible, it's very different. Like in Amos 3, 2, you know, God says, you Israel, out of all people, speaking of Israel, I've known you and none of the other nations. In other words, God knew the information about other nations, but he knew Israel in a special way. When God knows his people, it's in a special way. But here's the point. I'm going to cover this a little bit next week so you get a little bit firmer understanding. We have to because we're jumping into the most difficult chapter in the Bible. When we get into chapter 9, we're going to be dealing with that whole idea of election. But let me say this. God never meant for this to be a point of theological debate. These people didn't, you know, sit down and start reading the Bible and then, or the Bible's being read to them and they say, oh, predestination, you know, foreknowledge, oh, God's a Calvinist. That was meant to be a source of encouragement. You should read that if you're born again and you're going to heaven, it doesn't matter what camp you're in, you're still going to go there. So I'll deal with that a little bit next week because I believe they're two irreconcilable truths on the face of this planet, on this side of heaven, that both are true. And you're going to see that where both camps will bring that out, that, you know, if you're Calvinist, you're going to talk about predestination. You're going to talk about foreknowledge. You're going to talk about election. If you're Arminian, you're going to bring out all those scriptures that talk about the invitation being open to everybody, that God desires all men to be saved. Paul, when he was preaching on Mars Hill, he made that glorious statement. He said in former days he overlooked the sin, but now he is calling all men everywhere to repent. So the beautiful thing for you and the beautiful thing for me is God's guarantee for us. God will finish. He's going to finish what he started. He's going to finish what he started. He guarantees that. Look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Look at God's guarantee here. God's guarantee is he's going to finish what he started in your life. You know, when we did her service yesterday, she came to Christ as a little girl when she, well, she was 13, I think, when she came to Christ. But there was a time where she drifted off from the Lord and there was a time she returned to the Lord. In fact, in her words, she said the Lord arrested her. And I think that that's important to understand because we can't make God out so small to believe that He is unable to finish what He started in your life today. Now look at these words with me in verse 30. Those whom He predestined. You know what that means? God planned a glorious destination for us. Our lives are not unplanned or without purpose. That's what that means to you today. That you're not somebody just bouncing around through happenstance circumstances in this world. That God has a plan truly, and that's what that speaks of to you today. That there was a path God drew out for you. In light of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are workmanship, created for good works that He prepared before the foundation of the earth. That God prepares these things. There is a plan. No matter how you feel, and I think... Sometimes we get into this mode of suffering. We're like, man, Lord, do you really have a plan? What's going on? Things look out of control. Yes, his plan doesn't change. Now, look at the next words. Those he predestined, 
He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. Called and justified. That tells you that there was a moment in time where God initiated with divine intervention what he was going to work out in your life. That's what that should say to you, that there was a moment in history that you weren't an afterthought. That you weren't something, oh, gee, I wonder what uh, Walter's doing today. Look at him going off that way. I think I'll just call him today. No, there is a moment in history where God divinely intervened in my life, where he called me and he justified me. That it happened within the context of time, even though my name was written in the book of life before the foundations of the world. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977